Uh, I'm going to pray. We'll get into it. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and how you love us and how we've been wonderfully made and knit together uh, by you, by your very hands. Thank you for this community. Thank you for, thank you for Acts 4 and what they're doing to come alongside people in need, and not only with physical needs, but spiritual needs. Lord, we just pray a blessing and an anointing on, on their staff, on the board, and, and especially on Sarah as she takes on this, this new role, God. Lord, give us eyes to see where we as a church can come alongside them and help them in real ways. Lord, I pray that your word this morning would speak to our heart and soul. I know that we're all in different places as we, we are every, every time we walk in these doors. But I pray, God, that this would penetrate and it would release fear and doubt and fill it with the love of your son, Jesus. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so we just about finished uh, unpacking the introduction to First John to his letter. And he kind of lays out in the first four verses this, this thing about Jesus and how it kind of transcends any theology or philosophy. Because John is speaking from a personal experience. He said, you know, the things I've heard, the things I've seen, the things I've touched, I, I've wrestled with this. And he shares from, from a personal experience about Christ and who he is. And he wants, he wants people to, to get a hold of the idea of Jesus. And he wants them to come into fellowship with him and fellowship with God and fellowship with John and all the believers. And last week, we kind of landed on this idea of, of joy. We wrestled with the idea of joy because he said in verse 4, we write this so that our joy will be complete. And it's a complete joy. It's a lasting joy. It's not just scraps here and there. This is something that's full. And what we said was, it's, it's very important for us. It's necessary that we define the term joy from a biblical perspective. What does the Bible say about it? Because without a biblical definition of the word joy, then I don't think that we can really experience it in our world. Really experience it in the midst of what takes place in, in the world today. Because the Bible points to it. The Bible will say that the foundation of, of joy, that interior posture of joy, begins with the trust in God. That you have to trust God in order to get to a place of being filled with joy. So when we trust in God, then something begins to happen on the inside of us where we come to live a life of contentment. We become content in the things that we have, even content with the things that we might not have. And just say, it's okay, I am going to trust in God. And so with that trust, we build into that trust the contentment that comes from trusting God. And there is where we come to a place of joy. That we can have real, lasting joy. And it's not based upon the externals that are around us. It's not based upon the things that we have or the things that we don't have. It comes from the inside and finds its beginning in trusting who God is. Which means that we, every one of us, every one of us can experience a joy-filled life. Every one of us can experience it. 
in the midst of brokenness and hard times and the junk that this world throws at us, we can know joy because it's not based upon anything out there, only based upon the Lord. And so we kind of wrestled with that a little bit and, and kind of tried it on. And, and, and I hope that, that as you go through life, even as you went through last week, that that, that might have resonated with you that the Lord would be calling you into a deeper trust so that you can have a deeper contentment so you can know lasting joy. Now, as John writes this letter, he continues to, he, he wants to write about practical stuff. He wants to put the rubber to the road. He wants to talk about this idea. He talked about fellowship and joy. And he wants to, he's going to talk about later on in the letter, the things that will pull us away from that. The things that are going to pull us from the fullness of of being in fellowship with Christ. He's going to talk about the things that are going to pull us away from this fullness of joy. He's also going to talk about some things that will enable us to better experience this fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, fellowship with each other, and to experience the fullness of joy. He wants to put, again, the rubber meeting the road. He just doesn't want some philosophical, theological concepts just to be floating on there, out there. He wants people to get a hold of it and begin to begin to live it. He is concerned that that people will experience the grace of Jesus Christ, and not just in a, a a moment of time, but all through their life, that they would walk. People would walk in the grace of God every day, doing life, everyday life within your family, within within your jobs, within community, within your prayer time. This is what he wants for us. Not just this idea of grace and, and we've received grace because now we're forgiven. But, but there's, this, there's, this, there's this, this pouring out of God's grace to his people that we can know in everything, in every aspect of our life. And so he's going to begin to kind of flesh out this fullness where he's going to begin at the beginning. And so as we come out of verse uh, verses 1 through 4, we are going to land today on verse 5. And Steve, if you could put that up. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. I would say from a theological perspective... There's probably not a weightier verse in this entire letter than, than this one. And now, from, from, the, from the forefront, from just, just reading this, this is speaking about a very foundational, simple, duh-like truth. He's, he's, he's exposing us to something. He's communicating something that is very, very simplistic and very foundational, but unless we fully understand it, and unless we are engaging it, then we, we're going to find ourselves getting ourselves into hot water. We are going to get ourselves into trouble unless we understand what is going on in this one single verse. Because remember, he is beginning at the beginning, and he wants to lay down the foundation. And here it is, God is light, in him there is no darkness. Or no darkness at all, whatever version you have. So what I believe that he's talking about here is this. Now remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the Christian. And so he's saying, whatever 
whatever you're engaging in your life, whatever things that you're doing in life, whatever you're moving in, whatever walls you're trying to break down, whatever relationships you're trying to build up, whatever is going on inside of you, whatever is going on inside of you, right, ready for this? Here it is. You have to begin with God. So in verse four, he says, we're writing this to make our joy complete. And then he comes right into this, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Our starting point in our faith, in our theology, in our philosophies, in our lives, in everything, our starting point has to be God, period. It has to begin there. Now, I know that many of you are probably thinking, yeah, no duh, Captain Obvious. I mean, we're Christians. Of course, we're going to start with God. That's, that's kind of what this whole church thing is about. And, and I think if you've been hanging around church for more than like maybe, what, an hour, this probably makes pretty good sense that we would begin with God. That's the starting point for everything. But let me just challenge you with this. Half of the problems and the concerns, and the troubles, and the the negative consequences that we experience in our lives as Jesus followers happens because we don't start here. We don't start with God. Now, we like to think that we do, but we really don't. Because, see, you know, if you've been hanging around church for a while, and you've been doing this Jesus thing for, for some time, the danger is you start to get comfortable in your faith. You start to get comfortable with the things that you know about God, with, with, with the church and doing, doing life in the church. And, and you begin to become comfortable in the truths that you know about Jesus and, and the Lord. And, and I would even say that in that comfort that, that you just, you just kind of land and say, I, I, I've, I've come to a point where I understand all of this. And that's a dangerous place because if you understand all of this, you have stopped maturing and you're actually going backwards. And so there's this comfort, the danger of being comfortable. And I would say many of our problems, many of the bumps we hit in the road, many of the troubles we experience is because of this posture of of being too comfortable with the Lord. Now, there is a place where God brings peace and he does bring comfort. But you know what I'm talking about, that, that, okay, we as people, as humans, we, we like to start with me. We like to start with, with I. And, 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 and I like I. I'm, I, I really like me. And so I like to be in the driver's seat because I'm a good driver and and, and I can handle this. And God becomes this second fiddle thing. God all of a sudden becomes a hobby for us instead of starting with him. And, and, you know, if, if you ask people, many people, if you ask them, do you believe in God? Many, many people in, in, in America will say, yeah, I believe in God. And, and you'll be surprised how many do believe in God. And they've grown comfortable in what they believe in God. And so they no longer examine the belief that they have in God. And you've asked them what they believe, what you'll find is they've created a God in their own image and not 
the way God has revealed himself in these pages. A God that fits their own lifestyle, a God that fits their own desires, a God that would never demand or require anything of them, at least not the things that they're not already willing to do. And God becomes very comfortable and God becomes very complacent. And yeah, I have, I have my own beliefs in, in God. How many people have I had conversations with, my own, my own friends? You know, I, I believe in God, I just you know, have my own beliefs. Oh, you do. That's like saying I have my own beliefs in electricity. And, and, and I believe that if I take a fork and stick it into the light socket, it's not going to shock me because that's my belief. Well, that's kind of dumb. And it's kind of dumb the same way to say that, well, I've got my own beliefs in God. But we see this over and over and over again. And, and as we as people, we are taught, especially in our culture, that we need to be at the center of everything. The world revolves around us. The universe revolves around me. In fact, I would even say that many of us put ourselves on the throne. And we define everything else out there in our own terms. In terms that I'm comfortable with. In terms that I have actually defined. And so in my definition of my terms, I'm not going to pick terms that I don't really care for. I'm going to pick things that I really enjoy. And so everything is just cozy and comfortable. I've defined it well because I have become the center of my everything. And I should be the center of your everything because then life will be much easier. And so we take our human condition and we define the human condition. And then we try to define the human condition in the best condition that's going to work for me. And that me-centered focus actually runs itself into our Christian faith. And it collides head-on with the gospel. It collides head-on with the gospel. See, you know, we're, we're all searching for something in life. Even, even uh, Jesus followers, we're searching for something in life. And, and we're searching, it's because we don't have something. And, and sometimes those searches, they're, they're not necessarily bad. But, but we're all searching for something. We want something. And when we make this life that we're living all about me all about I, then, then we become very aware of, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not happy anymore. And we become aware of our own unhappiness. And I'm, I'm unhappy because the things that I want, I, I can't get. My desires are not being met. Because it's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's, it's the school's fault. It's my job's fault. It's whoever's fault. And I'm unhappy because of that. And, and the danger is when we approach the gospel with that mentality, that all about me mentality. I mean, I like me, but it's not the way to come to Christ. It's not the way to come to the gospel. And so, but many people do. What, what's this God thing have in it for me? Like, what, what, what am I, I going to get out of this? What's the Bible have to say to me about my particular situation? And how is it going to help me? What is this Christianity really going to do for me? Is it going to make me better? Is it going to make things easier? Which it very well might. I'm not saying that, that Jesus doesn't put us back together again and change us. But when we come at it from, what is, it in, what is, what is in it for me? You have missed the gospel. You have missed the, the fundamental focus of what the gospel is offering. It's offering God, not some self-help fix for you. 
And yes, we do get put back together. And there's grace and there's mercy and there's love. And, and there's just, there's incredible rebuilding of a person. But if you come in thinking, man, this, <laughs> all right, God, what you going to do for me? God will laugh at you and leave you to your own vices. The source of many of our troubles in the church, in the Christian life, is because we make it about us. We make it about I, about me. You know, if we looked at the gospel, there's just a set of questions that we want answers to. When you come in with this me attitude, well, the first question is, what's in it for me, Mr. Gospel? And I think if the gospel could answer you, it would say, forget about you. Focus on God. Forget about you. Focus on Christ. Meditate. Contemplate on the goodness and the greatness of God. John writes, he writes, this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He doesn't start out by saying, okay, this is the gospel, and if you just engage the gospel and believe it, you're going to get everything your little heart desires. And it's all going to be puppies and glitter and rainbows. He starts with, this is what we've heard. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And this has to be the foundation, the beginning of all teaching, of all discussion that, that, that's within the church. It can't be about us. It's always been about him. And if I ever preach to you anything different, then you can call me out on it. Because I will call you out on it. I would say any faith, any, any religion, any doctrine that begins with us, that begins with, it begins with this idea that you can, you can have anything you want. All you have to do is ask. And you can, you can get all of this stuff. And God, God, wants you to be, God wants you to be rich and he wants you to have nice cars. And he, and he, this is, that's a false religion. It's a false religion and it stands opposed to the Bible. And the truth of who God is, the truth of Jesus Christ, and the truth of the gospel. And so as we spend way too much time thinking about us, as we spend way too much time thinking about our environment and putting us in the center of it all. And I'm talking to the church here. As we spend way too much time, the, the, the Bible is continually calling us back to this truth. Say, no, no, no. It's about God. It's about God. It's about God. And yes, the world is under the control of the evil one for a time. But we will always stand in the presence of the living God. We will always be in the presence of the living God. And that is both the truth and the mystery of the gospel. But see, it's not just enough to start with this philosophical idea of, of putting God first. And making it a philosophy or even, even a theology. We have to come to a place of really engaging what that means. Engaging who he is. Engaging what we can know about him. The person of Jesus Christ and his father. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Way too many people say they believe in God. And when you press them for that belief, they just tell you what they believe. And they make things up. They will make things up about God. And you will say, well, where do you get that from? Well, I just believe it. 
and, and, and every, every fiber in my being wants to just go, you're dumb. That's not what, God, that's not it. I don't say that because believe me, that's not a way to, to share the gospel. But, but there's that really, really. They will proceed to tell you their own version. God wants me to be happy. And he guess he does. He doesn't want you to be a bummer all the time. Or I love the people that go the other route. Well, I believe in God, yeah, but you know, he's this grumpy old man sitting up there on the throne. He just watches stuff. I mean, if God is so good, then why do why do all these bad things happen in the world today? Why, why, why does he let people die of starvation and, and, and you know, have no drinking water? Oh, why does children die of starvation? Why do children die of, of diseases that could be cured with just drugs from CVS all over the world? If God was good, why would he let him do that? Why would he let them do, that, that happen? And my answer to that question is always, well, <laughs> I think God asks us the same question. Why are you letting those children starve? Why are you letting those children die? I've given you all of the resources you need to fix this, but you're only concerned about yourself. To believe, to really believe, is to accept God's revelation of himself, which is found in these pages. It's called the Bible, and we accept all of the good all of the bad, all of the easy, all of the difficult. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe out of here. This is his revelation to us as his people. John did not hang with Jesus for a while and then kind of run that whole experience through the great philosophers of his day and and try to just kind of bring in the Greek and and all that other stuff, you know, and and think about a little bit. And then, well, he read some some commentaries from the great theologians of his day to try to get a a better feed on what was going on there. And then he he opened up his... uh, his issue of Christianity Today, and it's the last issue in December, and it had the, the top 10 Christianity Today books, you know, from Christian authors. And so he decided to read those and just kind of let all this marinate. And then he went, oh, okay, now this is what I've come up with about, about God. This is now what I want to share with you. No, what did he say? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. This is the message that John has heard from Jesus and he wants people to know it. It's not speculation. It's not hearsay. It's not meditation. It's not contemplation. Those things are are the meditation and the contemplation part. They're good things. They're disciplines that we, that we can grow in. But John is not talking about stories being passed down. He's talking about what he has heard. Now, I would even push this a little bit farther as I was kind of um, meditating through this verse a little bit. Uh, I think if I look below the surface, up until this point, up until Jesus, up until his encounter with Jesus, what John knew about God was probably wrong. Because Jesus comes in and he changes everything. He sets a new tone. He brings the truth. John says, what I have learned about God was from a personal revelation from him. What I have learned about him was from walking with him and listening to him. And he's, and he's talking to me and he's teaching to, these things to me. And I'm proclaiming them to you. And that's why, church, that's why we have to trust this sacred 
book of writings in history as authoritative. As the authority of the revelation of who God is. Because if we leave it up to our philosophies and our ideas and our thoughts and how we feel, we are going to be in trouble. We will be in big trouble. Now, now I, I will say this. There is, um, there is a, a good place for moral and philosophical and even intellectual arguments um, about God and, and, and the way people speak about um, proving his existence. Um, but those are not ultimately the source of truth. I mean, I know, I know many people who have this. It's really a gift to be able to, uh, the gift in, in apologetics, to be able to really pull um, science and, and philosophy and even morality and bring this all in and just, and just show how this all points to the God of the Bible, show how this all just kind of kind of brings it all together. I do not believe science disproves God. I think science proves him. And so people have that tremendous gift, but John wants something more for us than just an intellectualization or a philosophical engagement. He wants fellowship, relationship with the Father and the Son, and that finds its completion in the gospel message itself. It finds its completion in Jesus Christ. And that's where the Bible calls us into a place of faith, of engaging faith. Faith can be a very difficult thing. Faith, faith really challenges us. But faith calls us to these truths as little children. Not ignorant, not naive, but in humility. It calls us and he presents these truths to us. And we begin to recognize and admit our own faults and our own failures and our very own incompetencies. And we come humbly before the Lord. The Bible, the Bible presents these things and says, believe, have faith. You cannot know God. You cannot know God deeply and personally outside of his personal revelation of himself. You cannot know him by making something up because it looks good or it feels good or you're comfortable with it. In John's gospel, he records Jesus as saying, I am, I am the, how's it go? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me except through, no one comes to the Father except through me. And see, we will arrive at a false God if we make it about our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own efforts, our own struggles. I believe this one verse says, Reading into it a little bit, John says, I had my own ideas about God until I met Jesus. I, I, God fit into my own personal terms and, and I, could, I could work my way into and around God. And, and that all changed when, when I met Jesus and he walked with me and he talked with me and he put his arm around me. And it was then and only then I knew who God was. You see, we have a lot of information about the Father and the Son He's revealed his, himself to us through, through these pages, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, uh, through the prophets, through the Ten Commandments, through the moral law, through the historical accounts in the Old Testament. 
and it was all revealed to us so that we can better understand who he is. Who he is. That's the revelation of these pages, who God is, but it's only through the Son, only through Jesus Christ, that we can come into the intimate relationship that John wants for us in his letter. And so we begin with God. That's the starting point. In everything that we do, in all we are, in all who we are becoming, we begin with God. Now, you might be asking me, well, what about him beginning with God? I mean, that God's a pretty big dude. You know, there's a lot about God. There's a lot of things about him. He's complex. And, you know, he's, well, he, well he's God. Where do we begin and in our, in our human propensity would be that we would begin, even when we begin with God, that we want to begin with the comfortable things of God. Like, like love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. I like forgiveness. I use forgiveness like every day. I mean, that, that's, that's, my, I like, that's my favorite. Forgiveness. And, and so we want to begin with those things. But in order to understand even love, grace, um, forgiveness... Mercy. In order to, to, to understand those things about God, we have to start where John starts. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness. This is where we begin with him. God is, uh, John is saying that, that the Lord is perfect. Perfect righteousness. Perfect justice. Pure light. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. This is where we begin. What John is telling us is, God is holy. And we need to begin there, with the holiness of who the Lord is. Because if we don't start there, then everything else falls apart. Everything else becomes meaningless. If we don't start with God's holiness, then salvation and redemption, they're, they're, they, they become meaningless. The cross becomes meaningless. If all God had to do was, was just love us and forgive us, give us a little kiss on the forehead, a little pat on the butt and send us on our way, then the cross is not only meaningless, but it, all it comes down to is a really bloody R-rated movie. We have to begin with the holiness of who God is. I would say the Bible tells us that the cross is at the center. The New Testament tells us the cross is at the center. And I'm going to even say and take that a little bit deeper to say that without the death of Jesus Christ, dare I say, God could not and would not forgive us. See, he can only forgive sin that was dealt with in his own perfect in holy way. And so we see that the cross is essential, that Jesus is essential. Without it, we would have never been forgiven. And so we have to begin with his holiness, that God is holy. And then love and mercy and forgiveness and salvation and redemption, they all kind of fill in behind that. You see, when we begin with the holiness of who God is, the selfish things we are prone to, our own personal preoccupations, the, the, the me focus, we begin to see them for what they really are, and they will bring death. When we begin to recognize the holiness of God, then, then we were saved from blaming him. 
we're saved from criticizing him for all the bad that's happening in the world around us and even from all the bad that's happened in our lives. You know, I see many people go through very tough times and blame and criticize God and they walk away. The very one that they need to come to, they walk away. And isn't that the paradox of our faith? The, the, the tension in our faith that this creator, this father, this God, the one that could have prevented and or stopped it and didn't is the one that we have to go to for our help and to be put back together again. But if we don't understand his holiness, then it comes very easy that we can just blame him. And so we begin to see what's happening in the world. We begin to see all that's happening to me. And all of the negative and hard stuff is not the result of anything unworthy of God. He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And anything that happens to me in this broken world is not because there's some imperfection in God or his plan. It's because we live in a broken world, and right now it is under the control of the evil one. And I know that's a difficult place to start with, that we have to get a hold of this idea of the holiness of God and understand in him there is no darkness. There is no darkness, but only light. That's where the holiness begins to open us up to the truth of who he is. And so my prayer for you this week, my challenge for you this week if you'll take it, is spend some time in this verse. Spend some time with the idea that God is always first. We start with him in everything. Sit with this idea that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Ask him what he wants to teach you. Open your heart, open your soul. Come to this verse as a, as a young child in all humility. Come expecting him to do something, to speak something to you. I know he will. Because this is the beginning of all who we, all we are, all who we want to become. God is light. And in him there is no darkness. I love you guys. I will see you next week. Grace and peace.